0: On today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I interviewed Merit Khan with more than 20 years of sales, sales management, coaching, training, consulting, writing, and speaking experience. Merit Khan has worked with thousands of clients across multiple industries with one goal in mind grow sales and influence. Today, Merit is going to share with us how we can be more influential leaders. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Leadership Habit. I am so excited to have Merrick Khan with me today. She is going to be talking all about how we can grow our influence, which we know is essential no matter what career or industry that we're in. If we want to be effective leaders or if we want to actually sell a product, we have to understand what we need to do to be influential. Merritt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We are so happy to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Merritt, for those that may not know you like I have or seen how funny you were, like I have, <laughs> could you just briefly tell, you
1: know, tell our audience
0: a little bit about you?
1: Well, let's see. Uh I uh, I've been in sales sales management training since 98. I've had my own business. Um, my business is called merit-based business because everything. My my core philosophy is everything. You have to be worthy to earn business, worthy to earn influence, worthy to have your leadership. So no participation trophies here. Um, and I think the thing that people find most interesting about me is that for stress relief, I do stand up comedy. <laughs> oh I, how did you get into that? Uh, 2014, I took a workshop with a stand up comedian and. Uh, I just learned to take things that were difficult in my life and process them through a lens of comedy. And I, I just, it changed my outlook for everything. I just, once I did my first seven minute set, I was absolutely hooked. I've never looked back and I, I just can't wait to get on another stage to make people laugh.
0: Oh my gosh, I love to seeing you in that capacity, and I know there's two sides of the merit coin. There is the (laughs) the sales expert, the speaker that's there. I know you have your two day sales intensive, and then there is the maybe it's not necessarily nighttime, but yeah, the comedy side of you, which I think just makes it that much more engaging, especially when you can combine the two. I'm sure when you're speaking,
1: yeah, you know when I when I the reason I enrolled in that workshop was. I wanted to just learn how to be more deliberately funny in my keynotes, and what happened was I became, I, I sort of uh, adopted this identity amongst my friends and colleagues, and they expected me to show up funny. So I had this permission to step into this funny part of me that, you know, I didn't really bring to my work, and now I can't separate it ever again. It's just. Sorry, you're gonna get, you're gonna laugh at my sales training. Sorry. <laughs>
0: right. I, well, and that's unique because I'm yeah. sure that like in any type of training that we experience, it can't just be all content, right? We have to bring right. that to light with humor or stories or just different ways to engage and really cement that into the learner's mind. So I'm so happy that you're one of those people that aren't just talking at someone with no personality. You're actually giving yeah. it your
1: all and sharing unique and comical insights. Which actually creates an an environment for the participants where they're more open to receiving whatever it is you are teaching. So I think humor, really understanding it and being more deliberate about baking funny moments and experiences into my programs, whether it's keynotes or sales training things, it actually made it easier for people to apply what they learned because they were having fun during the session and that i think makes a huge difference you know when we talk about being more influential with other people they have to want that want to be influenced right they have to want to, they have to be open to that and what better way to open someone to understanding and learning and and being in a moment there is no better way than helping them learn how to laugh or just be present
0: Yes, and laugh at themselves. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know that laughter is the key to gain one of the keys, not the focus of what today is, but one <laughs> of the keys to being able to gain influence because laughter can get you permission to yeah. be able to share that. Exactly. So we're going to talk all about our mindset, emotional intelligence. A lot of different things that really all are the underlying, I guess, factors that determine how influential you truly are. You know, one of the things that we talked about offline was emotional intelligence. So let's kick off our talk. How do you possibly develop that mindset for success to be influential? You
1: know, I think the the underlying uh, learning is well, let me say it this way. The best best piece of advice I got when I was learning sales and when I was an an early entrepreneur was to learn as much as I can about other people. Learn as much as I can about the people I'm trying to sell to, the people I'm trying to influence. And I thought that was great advice, but it left something out because the person that was in every single one of those conversations where I wanted to be most influential was me. And what I didn't understand until much later in my career was that I had to, if I wanted to be more influential with other people, I had to get very clear on the things that had influence over me. And that really opened up for me when I took my own emotional intelligence assessment. And then when I started using that in my business to coach my clients, I really saw the difference. So I could have. Um, in fact, I had two guys in my training class. It was kind of funny. It was they, they were, they were young guys. They were both hired to the at the same company at the same time. They sold in the same territory, the same products and services at the same price point. They they kind of looked alike. I mean, they're like same, same, same. Stephen and Daniel, and they sat next to each other in my class, learning the same sales techniques from the same person in the same class. That's like, so the basic case study, right? a Perfect, perfect example, case study. Well, Stephen knocked the cover off the ball. Like he, it was like every conversation turned to gold. Like he could do no wrong. He crushed his sales quota, and Daniel, you know, kind of eked by. Like he did all right. He didn't. He wasn't a complete failure, but he didn't knock knock it out of the park. And I was intensely curious because how could I take credit for Stephen's success if I didn't also take responsibility for the fact that Daniel just did okay. Like you don't get to celebrate and and take right. credit Just for the Just pretend the, win. the other like, one's not there. That's not fair. <laughs> like I couldn't take that win. So I had I was interested in emotional intelligence, and I, I gave both of these guys this assessment, and what was so clear was that they were fundamentally wired differently. Stephen's self regard was higher. His level of assertiveness was higher. His optimism was higher. And those are three. Of the most important things for being successful in a sales role so rather than teaching daniel like pushing on him the sales techniques i had to work a layer beneath that boost up his emotional intelligence attributes because once he was stronger in those areas then i could layer on these skills and now it would start to work for him and that's exactly what happened
0: why do you think people don't first turn to emotional intelligence as a way to gain influence?
1: I think it feels very much like a soft skill, even though there's tons of research and it's been written about in many books at this point. You know, when I first started talking about emotional intelligence, I had to really define it for people. And now people have been exposed to it. It's, you know, a decade and a half later. And um, I I think people want to go immediately to that concrete, what can I do? What do I say? How... You know, what should I hold people accountable for if I'm a leader who wants to be more influential? What do I do in a sales call if I'm a salesperson who wants to grow my influence? And I think that's we're walk, we're working on the wrong end of the problem. So I, I do believe that skills and action plans are important, but I think fundamentally, it's getting comfortable with, understanding our own strengths and our, I call them not yet strengths. I don't like to use the term weaknesses because, you know, it's just a, it's a weaker area because you haven't put any focus on it. Yeah. Like I'm a terrible basketball player because I don't play basketball. Not yet your strength. (laughs) Not my, my, not yet my (laughs) strength. But if I put some time in, I could probably be less bad. <laughs> Good. I
0: like that goal. Less bad. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> Shoot for the stars. Yeah, that's right. because uh, you know, with emotional intelligence, it's one of the topics. It's new, but yeah, it seems so obvious for me. And maybe that's because I live in the leadership space. To say, yeah, hello. If you want to have influence, you need to have emotional intelligence. They go hand in hand. Yet, if you talk about maybe maybe it reflect it's reflective in the difference between Daniel and Stephen. But when you think about someone. In the instance of sales that has high EQ, emotional intelligence, or low EQ, that high EQ person, what does that look like? What's the difference between them in terms of how you see it? Yeah. So
1: the the difference is you can be, you can you can have high self regard as an example, and that's a strong, that's a good attribute on an emotional intelligence uh, spectrum, but you don't want so much that it's out of balance with some of the other strengths that you have. So, for example, um I'll I'll use myself. I'll use uh, an example from my own report. So I'll throw myself under the bus a little bit. I'm really high on the optimistic scale, right? I'm one of I I don't see the clouds, I see the silver lining. I look at everything through rose-colored glasses. Now, I always knew myself to be upbeat optimistic, but I didn't always understand how that, in combination with some other emotional intelligence attributes, and, and my score in those areas, how being optimistic could hurt me in a sales situation. So, in the sales world and leadership world, I ha- I was lower scoring in something called reality check, like reality testing. So, you would you might say to me, "Oh, I'm really interested in your two day sales intensive," and I would go, "Great," and and then that would be it. Like, I would think, oh, totally, Jen's going to sign up for that. Like, done deal. That's not what you said. It's just what I heard through my optimistic happy years. Once I I saw on paper the reality of optimism was so high and reality testing was very, very low, then I could work to bring those more in balance. And what that looks like is now I would say, you know what? I appreciate that you are excited about participating in that course. I must have missed something. I, I didn't pick up on that. Like, tell me why you really want to do that. And now I'm getting you more excited because I've asked you a good question. Now I have a better sense of, oh, okay, she really is going to do this. Or like I might even ask, like, so does that mean you want to be in the February class or the April? Like I might close it. But before, I'm going to lead with my optimism, and it's actually going to lead me astray. If you go too uh- too deep. And do you feel like
0: that's because people have the natural tendency where they can't see the forest from the trees? Absolutely. Like we can only focus on one small piece of data. So it either is what we want to hear because we have that confirmation bias and we just run with it. But then it can lead to assumptions that are faulty and don't yield that end result that we're looking for. Exactly.
1: Which is why, I mean, we can't see on, you know, who we really are. The question I ask is, you know, who do you need to be? to accomplish the the goals and and aims you have for your life. And if who you need to be is a more influential leader, then you want to pull out all the stops to learn what what things like optimism, self-regard, self-awareness, interpersonal relationships, your level of empathy, those things are influencing you and your reactions to other people and you don't even know if you're not aware of the emotional impact you have on other people, you you can't you're powerless to be more influential. You you you're going to try to push your influence on others as a as opposed to allow them to be influenced by you of their own choosing. Yeah,
0: I love In that. that. Talking about the push, because You know, and you do see that a lot. With people that have low self-awareness, they're constantly pushing. Yes. I mean, I feel like I feel it on LinkedIn. I haven't even met a person, and all of a sudden, you know, they send me a request, they want to connect, and then they're just pushing information at me as if I was saying, yes, by nature of connection, I wanted you to send me every single thing that you possibly (laughs) had that I didn't know about that I won't read. Thank you. You know, it's no one wants that, but yet when you're so out of touch— I think you just naturally assume that well if I just keep doing this like by statistics someone's going to pick it up. Right. Whereas how I see that as a seller is I never will want to do business with you again because there was no you didn't ask if you
1: could push at me. You just pushed. And you just said the magic the the magic question. You said you didn't ask if you could do that. And the rule is that permission changes everything. Then you can you that applies to every area of our life, when you have permission to ask a question, to send some information, to kiss someone—I mean, yeah. it's a different ball game. Without that permission, you could be in for a world of hurt, <laughs> right? And and it feels pushy and aggressive. So I think the access and and to be more influential with other people, we want to be very mindful of asking for permission. And I I my magic question that I've been teaching for years now is, um, are you open to, and then fill in the blank. So if I were to connect with you on LinkedIn and I knew I wanted to bombard you with all of my amazing stuff, (laughs) the first thing I would do is say, Hey, Jen, we know some of the same people. Are you open to having a conversation to see if it makes sense for us to talk in detail about what we each do? Like, That's a different conversation. And that feels a lot better. I think that
0: in the digital age, people, especially over LinkedIn, where it is so much more of a networking tool and platform just by its nature, that when you do accept a request, people, I think, love to jump in and assume that because you've accepted that request, that all of a sudden it means that you've given permission, whereas it's kind of misguided. I think it's then creating that point, the opposite effect. Now you've made an assumption where I wasn't actually there Sorry. But if they would have just reached out and said the simple, you know, ask that magic question that you had shared, that would have felt a lot better.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can use that question in a lot of different applications. So think of a leader or manager who has to have a tough performance improvement or evaluation conversation with one of their, uh, you know, direct reports. Well, it's a different conversation. It's like, okay, we're here to have your 90-day review. Well, that's an environment that puts me in a headspace of defensive, like I've got to defend everything that I've been doing, uh, versus if that meeting were to start with, you know, are you open to first hearing some things that I'd like to celebrate about your performance, but are you also open to uh, some moments where I think, you know, some coaching would be beneficial? Are you open to having a conversation about some of the things I think would be helpful for you to focus on for improvement. Well, that just puts me at ease because nobody doesn't want to be open. Right. right. And sometimes and when you ask permission, you create this space for somebody to say, Yeah, I am, I, I am open to that. Okay. Um, I kind of call it, I, I call it the open mic environment. You know, you wanna set an environment, a mood for people to be playful and light, and hear your your leadership, your wisdom, your coaching, your advice. Um, you want you want them to be able to receive that, so you want to set up this kind of open mic environment. When when a comedian or a or a musician goes to an open mic night. They, they are there to play and to experiment, to see what works with an audience or what doesn't. So however it goes, it really gives them information that they're going to use to improve their performance. So there's no bad outcome. I mean, a, you know, a comedian could have a good bomb on an open mic. And it might not feel good in the moment, but if they really think about it, they've had a great experience that's going to help them in the future. Yeah, they have new data. They have data, mm-hmm. exactly. Well,
0: and to back that up, so what we're going into now, we, to our listeners, is, our, or excuse me, are rather, the three keys essentially to opening your door to success and to be able to influence. And so those three keys, what we, what Merritt just touched on was open mic, the second is open sesame, and the last is open for business. But going back to the open mic, people get so hard on themselves. I think it's that perfectionist culture where they feel Mm -hmm. like they should get it right. And so when they fail, then it becomes more about, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough, I didn't do that. And sometimes they give up. Whereas if they went in with that mindset that said, all right, let's see what works and doesn't. I'm not here to say I got it right. I'm just here as a scientist to collect data. There's a different energy there. Exactly, exactly,
1: yeah.
0: Hi everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Are you looking for a proven program to improve your management team's communication skills and create happier and more productive employees? Are your leaders able to take your strategy and break it down effectively for their teams to achieve your vision? Are they able to inspire and motivate their employees to produce real results and meet daily demands? Great managers don't happen overnight. Partner with Crestcom to develop your team and obtain results. Whether you are looking to improve employee engagement and reduce turnover or cultivate a more inclusive culture, our intensive leadership development program provides a diverse set of tools and skill sets for leaders to thrive in today's workforce. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. I, I wish more people would set themselves up for the open mic. Why do you think people resist it? I
1: think they're just, I just think they haven't been invited to participate in something like that. Like you've been to plenty of brainstorming sessions, but how many times have have you been, sh- has you, have you had an idea that's been shot down in a brainstorming session? That's really not what brainstorming was intended to be. So I, I think one of the things that is, is uh, that leaders can do a better job is to set the the tone of something like a brainstorming meeting or any meeting um, where they want to invite people to have that open mindset. So, you know, whether they're they're verbally saying, you know, no idea is a bad idea in here. We're just, we're looking at the top of a mountain, 360 degrees at all of the options. We're going to see who, we're going to celebrate the absolute craziest idea that comes out of this conversation. Like, you have to be really open and invited to participate at something at in, in that level. Um, Can I tell you a story? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, please do. You know, I, I think a great example um, is... Of of how this whole thing comes together is is my dad. My dad has been uh, volunteering with the Make a Wish Foundation for more than forty years. And oh Make a Wish, if if you're not familiar, is an organization that grants wishes to children with life threatening diseases, uh, illness. And over the years, my dad's done lots of different things. Like he's picked up wish families at the airport and got them settled in, in the rental car so they can take their journey to whatever the wish is. He's organized events. He's, you know, done fundraising. But the, his favorite role is as a wish granter. And the the people who are wish granters for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, they're the people that get to sit down with these kids and say, okay, if you could have, be, or do anything in the world, what would be your wish? And... I think, you know, what, when my dad tells me these stories of these amazing conversations and these wishes that these kids come up with, when I've asked him, like, how does a kid open up to you like that? Because he's a stranger to them. And he says, well, you know, I just, I play with them. Like, not in a, in a very appropriate way, um, for the listeners, in a very appropriate way, with their parents in the room, right? <laughs> like, I, I just, <laughs> sorry, that just didn't sound right. Um, you know, but he he creates an environment of play. <laughs> Let's say it that way. We'll say it that way. Uh, We've you know, got, we reserve editing. Yeah, thank things.
0: you. I Haven't <laughs> <laughs> so, so, marked that down. Yeah, you might want to <laughs> edit that out. So No, seriously, write down the time of that <laughs> so we can edit it
1: out. <laughs> so... So, um, you know, if the child is, you know, an artist, he might draw with them. Uh, if they're into music, he might have them sing their favorite song, right? He might ha- put on music and have them dance. It's really about creating that environment, that open mic environment where they get to just play. And what happens is they're, they, they he's really, whether he knew this, you know, Uh, deliberately or not, he's preparing their brain to think big. And I think we could learn a lot from that in the leadership world by, you know, how are we preparing our teams to think beyond what the goals are or what they think is possible? So my dad, in, in doing that, takes a kid from you know, I want a new TV or I want to go on a shopping spree or I want to go to Disney World, which is a great wish. Nothing, no disrespect to that wish. It's Disney World has set up an amazing, you know, to be able to do that. But he takes them to the level where they get to do what I call the next step, which is open sesame, which is kind of like. You know, the genie in a bottle, like legitimately anything is possible.
0: So the open mic is setting the stage. That's the environment that you need to see the possibilities.
1: Yes. And then Open Sesame. is That's where you declare and share what the big wish is from a place that you wouldn't have thought of had you not been in that open mic environment. Okay. So Open Sesame is when, you know, little Claire, six years old, gets to say, I want to be a mermaid or Jack, uh, a six-year-old from from Denver, who wanted to be a superhero. And the next thing you know, he's rescuing the entire city of Denver from the red villains as his alter ego, the Green Blaze. And it's this incredible, amazing story. And this, this child is just so full of possibility. And he gets to take that presence, that identity to his medical treatments and be the green blaze undercover, of course, dressed as a child, right? <laughs> right. But he, who he really is, is the green blaze. And that just adds a whole new level of possibility for how he takes on his medical treatments. So how, much, how could we do that in the business world? You know, what's, what's, the, what's your environment where you think bigger than anywhere else? you know, what gives you access to that? Do you need to walk your dog in, in on a nice, beautiful day? Do you need to sing at the top of your lungs on the way to work? You know, like what gives you access? And then you declare that big dream and then it's open for business. Because my dad's role is to go, mermaid, got it. Absolutely. Your wish is my command. And then he just gets an entire team of the most amazing people you've ever met at the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and they make it happen, and Claire becomes a mermaid.
0: Gosh, I love that so much. But the, you know, the op- it, they're all so important because we think about all of the things that can happen that stifle our creativity, that stifle our ingenuity, that can prevent us from having influence. But what you've just given us is, or are, tools and ways that we can look at things to expand our mindset, to be able to see additional possibilities. And when you're in a sales capacity or any influencing role— You need to be able to unlock that with other people to get them to do what you want them to do. And so in that case of your dad saying, no, let's think bigger, even though you might have that fixed mindset and only be exposed to what you've experienced, how can you help them see a different thing? Because in the lens of sales, your
1: product may be the perfect thing, but they just can't see it yet. Yeah. And as leaders or sales professionals or, you know, pick an industry, our ability to be more influential with other people starts with our ability to create an environment where they can see a new possibility for themselves. And sometimes my work is as simple as asking a question like, have you already decided that it can't get any better than it is? Or are you open to a new possibility that could 10X your your business growth? And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I want that. Right? So that's what exactly. she's having. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, if I were to just try to convince you that I could help you 10X your business, that's pushy. You are. You have no choice but to push against that, to protect yourself from being sold by the sales guru or the leadership guru. Like that's, that is putting somebody exactly in a space that you cannot be more influential with them. So to unlock what's possible for them, it's first being open, you know, I, I kinda I kind of look at it like, do you remember that movie, The, S- uh, the Sixth Sense? Yes. Right? And it was like, you know, the guy's like, I see dead people, or the kid, like, I see dead people. It's so like, my superpower is like, I see possibilities. Like, I just see stuff for other people And my job is as an influencer in whatever capacity, whether I'm speaking on a keynote stage or leading a small training workshop or coaching people, my job is to help them see the possibilities that I see for themselves.
0: And so when they, so it starts with the open mic, which is just kind of that environment. So creating the right environment, we're talking about how you can influence. You have to create the right environment for them. And then open sesame is unlocking their brain to be open and then open for business then or open for business would then be described as, okay, like I'm in alignment with you. Like I'm ready to see where this could go. Would
1: that be how you would
0: describe it? Yeah.
1: I would just, I would maybe tweak the open sesame part is that's where they, they create the possibility. Okay. So open mic is the environment where that that thinking will take place. Open Sesame is, I've I've, I've written it down, I've shared it, I've created the, the bigger possibility. And then open for business is, okay, let's get down to work. Like, what do we need to actually do what to make this happen? What kind of
0: questions would you ask if you were in, if you'd already created that environment and you went through the open mic phase, what type of questions would you ask to someone once you're in the open sesame phase?
1: Great question. So um, I ask, in that phase, I ask, you know, what have you done? You know, what have you achieved thus far? Like, how far have you gotten in this area w- without anything out? Like, where are you now? Right? Where are we starting from? And and then I want them to, I want to ask about, well, what do you think is realistic? So sometimes people will think like 10% growth is realistic or, you know, opening up another office in one other city is realistic. So they'll dream what I call a possible dream. Now I want them to dream bigger. It It doesn't mean that the possible dream isn't worth shooting for. It just means it may not pull them Really pull them with a passion that a big, you know, a big and what might others might term the impossible dream will will pull them towards. Like you could rally around the the wish, uh, you know, that a child might might share with you to to go on a shopping spree. That's a you know, that's a legitimate wish that children have had and in in that organization and and has been delivered on. But the energy that comes from a wish that seems impossible like a superhero you know they didn't just get a padded costume for this little kid to put on and like bam you're a superhero they had to invent the evil doers and the crimes that the superhero would save the city from like that's enrolling so how do you how do you get people to think Like, let's 10x that dream. And it would just be questions like, well, where are you now? You know, what's, what's a, you know, how much growth have you experienced? What's possible? What's realistic? And then what would it look like if it was 10 times growth, not just 10%?
0: I love that. Getting people to see and think beyond their own limitations. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team. Now let us help you develop them. Crosscom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, back to our podcast. I know you have so much experience. What type of results have you seen with people when you can get them to that place of 10x in your business? What have you seen people accomplish once they're in that place? You know, uh,
1: to be perfectly frank, I haven't seen everybody, you know, get to that the big impossible dream, but they sure had uh, they got a lot farther than they thought was realistic. They um, they had a lot more fun along the way. They allowed when you think bigger, whether it's 10X or, or whatever, you know, because that's not necessarily new information, right? You've probably heard other people say, you know, 10X your business, right? That's not new. But what I um, see that people are able to create is by thinking that much bigger about what's possible, they, they have to come up with that many more options to get there. And so if, if somebody like I had a a client of mine who had a, um, a million dollar sales goal. So I said, okay, what's realistic is he's got four different revenue streams in his business. So what's, what he originally did was he said, okay, I'm going to come up with a way to get to a $250,000 sale or, you know, worth of sales in each of these four revenue streams. And I said, okay, that's what's realistic. That will get you to your million-dollar goal. What I'd like you to do is think bigger than that. And I want you to build a plan that would have you do a million dollars from each of these four revenue streams. Now, he may not make his goal in each of those four revenue streams, but just by virtue of the fact that he's now thinking that it could be possible... He's now, you know, what are the resources if this channel was going to be a million-dollar revenue stream versus a $250,000 revenue stream? That's a different set of, what do I do? That's a different checklist to be open for business. And so I say just build the plan for the the bigger dream. And then if you fall short, you're still probably getting higher than the original goal. I love that.
0: That's the midpoint. And that's still where a place where you can see progress that exceeds your expectations. Yeah. And I think that it's so important because people really do become limited or jaded or too conservative and play it safe mode and so we don't necessarily stretch ourselves or even challenge other people in that way because we're not thinking bigger. And if we're putting that into the context of an organization, if you're not challenging your employees to think bigger, do better, you know, add more value, be more innovative, you're likely going to fall behind your competition or to those people that are actually creating those spaces for people
1: to think big. Exactly. Yeah, you know, because it's it's interesting because I think if if you are professionally the same place, the same level that you were 3 years ago, it's not because of what you know how to do or your game plan. It's because you have some belief that is driving all of those actions. And it's keeping you playing at that level. Uh, I'm often telling audiences, you know, there are three things that you need to focus on to be successful in anything. And, uh, you know, it's mindset, right? It's having the right mindset, that's what we've been talking about. But it's also being skilled in the mechanics of what you do. So the mechanics of sales, the mechanics of whatever your particular offer is, your product, your service, you gotta know that stuff. Um, you know, the mechanics of what it is to be a good leader. There are things that good leaders do and things that bad leaders don't do, right? So there's mechanics of that. But then there's also being in motion, right? Being in action, working your plan. So mindset, mechanics, and motion, those are really the fundamental things that I I base all of my work goes back to those, those keys. But um, but if we go to mindset, it, you can break that down into three parts, too. There's the internal mindset, right? That's what you say to yourself. There's your behavioral mindset. That's what your actions say to other people. And there's your emotional mindset, which is really um, how, how much your emotions impact other people, whether or not you're aware of that, right? So that's where, you know, like we talked about in the beginning with emotional intelligence, it's your awareness of your emotional triggers for yourself and how you might be triggering others is going to impact your ability to influence.
0: Yeah, it's called tact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. I'm teasing. I mean, that's just what came to mind in terms of leadership is that oftentimes not understanding or thinking through how someone could possibly respond because once you say it, perception is reality and yes. it's going to be so much harder to reverse that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but that internal mindset—that's what's going to keep you stuck. So, what you said earlier, you know, about um, you know, sometimes we we kind of sabotage ourselves. But it's it's our beliefs about money. It's our beliefs about how our own self worth. It's our beliefs about uh, you know, if they're the CEO, they must be the decision maker, right? If you believe that, um, you you've made an assumption that could be false. Right. They might have a board of directors that they run every every major decision by. So there's, you know, we again, it, it's under like how oh, here's another example. So how we buy impacts how we sell, as an example. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. So um, talk about, you know, being wanting to be more influential with others. But again, needing to understand what has influence over us. So if I asked you, will you play, will you play a game with me? Yes, I want to. I want to play. Bad. All right. So tell me about the last thing you bought that was like five hundred dollars or more. The last thing that I bought, my pair of skis. Okay, a pair of skis, perfect. And uh, what was the process you went through when you bought those skis?
0: I went to, you know, I went to REI. I talked to an associate. We compared brands. We talked about the level that I was at and what I was going to be basically and how I was going to be using the skis. Okay. Um. Did you go to any other stores? I had went to a few, but I knew I wanted to make the purchase at REI.
1: Because? Because I'm a member of their co-op. Ah, okay. So you were going to get some money back on your yes. purchase for Future Pro Smart. So you're a smart shopper. What about, did you... um shop for sale? Did you wait for a coupon? I did
0: shop um, for the sale. It was an unintentional sale. They just happened to have a pair of last season skis. And I decided I didn't care if they were last season. They were $300 cheaper. So I would buy those. Okay, perfect.
1: So how you buy impacts how you sell. Now for the leaders listening or sales managers that hire salespeople, that is an awesome interview question. They have absolutely no idea why you're asking that question. And you were gonna learn volumes about the objections that your salesperson might not be able to overcome because of the way that they buy personally. So if if I would if you were selling to me and I said, you know, Jen, uh, I don't know if I really wanna buy these skis. I mean, I don't know if you, you know, I, I might wanna I wanna go somewhere else. I'm not you know, I want to save a few dollars, see if I could shop around and find this somewhere cheaper. Even if you were highly trained in what to say, you might say, um, I can totally understand that. I would do that myself. Um, If I can be of any more help to you, just let me know, like something like that. So that's a, a great example of you want to pay attention to what has influence over you, like your buying style. And because, and look at, does that impact how you uh, conduct a sales e- experience for someone else, um, so you don't have a. It, I didn't pick up on any real negative buying habits from for you like your buying habits. No, you, but I think I picked up on like one as you're talking. I feel like the
0: aha that I'm having is. It is so important for me to have choice. And so the second that the pressure is on, like I want to be able to walk in, just talk about things. I don't want anything to be forceful. And that's the same way that I would want to sell. I want people to always feel like they have choice.
1: Right. But you also, you have a very, there is a very positive one I want to highlight for you. You went to REI, you had two specific reasons. So a loyalty program was important. So in your sales offer, it might not make sense to you if somebody didn't wanna buy that was part of your company's loyalty program, you would be like, well, that you know, why would you go anywhere else? We're gonna give you this back or you're gonna get points or whatever. So you might really appreciate, you might wanna think about how can I add a loyalty program to my offer, right? That might give you a clue about oh. something that other people might find attractive. The other thing was um, REI is well known for having real experts on their sales floor. Like it's not you know you wouldn't have me, not a non-skier, selling skis in the ski department. You'd never have that because they are real outdoorsy people that do the activities in the department of the store that they work in, and they're they're very well known for that. So you value expert advice when you're making a purchase that's a high dollar amount. And so you are going to, learn as much as you can about your offer so you can be the expert that other people can go to and i think that's a strong um buying habit
0: what a, i mean that's an awesome interview question <laughs> and i just love all the reflection that's there look at yourself how do you make decisions how do you buy and then, you know, looking back and reflecting on your selling because selling isn't just selling your product. Sometimes it's selling an idea and think about how you need to package that in a way that ensures influence. Yeah.
1: And and I mean, think about, uh, you know, being on uh, in that sales role for whatever your offer is and, and asking somebody, you know, are you open to it if I ask you a couple questions about what's important to you in making a decision like this? Because, you know, you could go a different places to buy a pair of skis. Tell me why you came in here. You know, are you open to it if I asked you a couple questions? You wouldn't expect somebody selling you skis would ask. Well, sure. And now I'm just building the relationship. But even in that question, I'm inviting the person that I want to be influential with to be in the mind space where they're open to hearing something in a new way.
0: Yes, and then you're also just like you learn, 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 which only then gives you more intel, if you will, to be influential or to at least connect the dots for them.
1: Exactly. Now, I hope your audience will use their new powers for good and not evil. Because <laughs> right. it's very powerful. The, you can see the manipulation or like yeah. the consequences. But, yeah, yeah. You know, there's,
0: you know, we're going to assume that everyone that listens to this are very, in, <laughs> they have a lot of integrity. So they are going to use it for all good. Perfect. <laughs> well, we wrap up every single podcast episode, which, first of all, I've loved our conversations. The conversation, just thinking about how we truly can be more influential and how it's just by mindset, thinking about how we can unlock the mindset and mentality of the people that we're influencing to get them into that space to be able to work with us so we can gain influence. Mm. And also talking about you know the mechanics and just... There was so much good content in this episode. I'm not even going to rehash it because I hope Yay. everyone has listened to it. So thank you. But we do conclude every single Leadership Habit podcast episode by asking our final question, which is, what is your leadership habit for success?
1: Well, uh, I I think what I've learned recently um, through comedy, through really studying comedy, is uh, to really keep things light. So what I know about my own ways of being is that I'm I'm a writer. I like to journal. And I used to just journal and just kind of get it out of my head and onto, you know, into a, a journal just to kind of rehash the day or process a, a question or, or something on my mind. What I didn't always do was review that journal. And when I started studying comedy, I also did a lot of writing to, you know, you, you write about your observations and then you write about why, what's interesting about the fact that you observed that. So it's kind of like the, there's the observation, but then there's observing the observation. And so there's a lot more, uh, reviewing what you've written that I didn't always do. And what has happened in my business as an entrepreneur and somebody who leads lots of people in, in training sessions and you know, keynotes and things, is I've started observing the lessons that have that are right in front of me that i I didn't allow myself the the time or space to process. So I guess all of that to say, I would recommend that leaders, do a a journal. It doesn't have to be like, this is what I have for breakfast, but a a few things, like a big issue, how you're observing what you're thinking about it and what that informs you as a leader.
0: I love that. Be an observer of your observations. Yeah. There you you go. (laughs) You said
1: it perfectly. (laughs) But
0: it's, I mean, that's something that, Get out of your own head because yeah. you might be missing something. There might be that next solution or aha moment when you take that step back. And journaling is the way that allows yourself to do that. That's what I'm I think I'm hearing you yeah. say, which sounds powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I, I the only other thing I would add to that is I think um, you know, leaders, we have a lot on our plates. Um, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm a single parent of a teenager. Like there's a lot going on. But the moment I take comedy or my writing or or exercise, the things that lift me up, the moment I take those things off of my schedule because I'm so busy is the moment that stress takes over. And when I'm stressed, I am closed minded. I can't see the possibilities. So it may feel like a luxurious thing to sit down and write in a journal or go catch a, a open mic night or, you know, perform stand up comedy, but it is absolutely essential to my being uh, open-minded to see new possibilities for my audiences, for my clients, and for my own business.
0: I love that. It's like slowing down to
1: speed up. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
0: Merit, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure to have you. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Merit Kahn. If you want to find out more about her two-day sales intensive event or book her as a speaker, find her at meritbasedbusiness.com or look at the show notes. If you feel that today's podcast made an impact with you, please share it with your friends and don't forget to write us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.